Hey everyone, welcome back to the podcast, me, myself, and Endo. My name's Tracy. Thanks for returning if you listened to episode one and liked what you heard. I decided that for my first episode following the pilot, I would really just go into depth about the process of getting the diagnosis itself. I didn't really want to go too far back and spend several hours getting to that point. I know that there's a lot of women who are just specifically curious about that onset of symptoms and what really led to the multiple surgeries and multiple hospitalizations and testings that uh, rendered me my diagnosis of stage 4 endometriosis. So the last 12 years or so, like I said, I did experience significant pain intermittently. It would be abdominal, pelvic. I suffered from migraines, syncope, chest pain, several things like that. So last year around, I'd say Thanksgiving rolling into December, I started to experience, I guess, a weird sensation in my abdomen it felt a lot like pressure, and I just knew something was different. It was different than anything I'd ever experienced. It wasn't that sharp abdominal pain. There was no real good rhyme or reason as to why I was experiencing it. I decided to go to my primary care provider. I had had about a week or so of just abdominal discomfort. Didn't really know where it was originating, if it was my GI tract, my bowels, my bladder, or anything like that. So I decided to make that appointment, and I went in to see my primary care provider, and I explained to him my symptoms. Now, with that sort of pressure and with that pain, I was experiencing significant nausea. I didn't really know what to expect at that point. They really I guess zeroed in on it being abdominal originating as in my bowels or my GI tract given history that I've had over the last decade, which I'll get into in future episodes. So on that first visit, we, my, my primary care provider decided to do your normal blood work, uh, you know, your CBC, SED rate, things like that to check the inflammation within my system and decided to do an exam of some sort. Uh, I'll tell you right now that this episode is going to be quite graphic in medical nature and so I just wanted to give you a heads up right now if anything makes you queasy or sometimes you hear something and you're like that was too much information, this is going to be that episode. So I went in for my first appointment, explained all of my symptoms, said that I hadn't um, had any movement within my abdomen in several weeks, and I just felt awful. So they ordered the lab work, they did an exam to make sure that I didn't, I wasn't, I guess, experiencing anything that they were concerned about, and I'm, I'm talking like an, a rectal exam, right? And it was very uncomfortable. Uh, I was nauseous, in pain. They decided to do that exam to make sure that 
because I had a lower GI bleed going on at the same time. So they just wanted to make sure that I guess that bleeding wasn't originating from something lower and that they should in fact be concerned about something happening within my major system. So they do the exam, it's negative, and they give me an injection. Now the injection is was for nausea, and it was an injection of Zofran or Ondansetron. It was 8 milligrams intramuscularly, and I was to follow up if there was no changes. So... Fast forward about three or four days and the discomfort just grew and grew and grew and I didn't know why. I had always really experienced relief when I took Zofran. The nausea would almost disappear instantly and I would just experience some less than desirable side effects like Zofran is notorious for causing movement to stop within the bowels, basically. So I experienced relief from the nausea, but the pain and the pressure grew. And I didn't know if the pain and pressure was growing because I wasn't having movement or if something was wrong and getting worse. So I made the second appointment. I called and I went in to see urgent care to see my primary care provider. And I explained to them how, yes, the nausea was a bit better, but I was still experiencing this pain and this pressure, and it was unlike anything I had ever experienced before. So it took some convincing, but my primary care provider finally decided to order a CAT scan, and at this point, his concern was appendicitis. Now, If you know what appendicitis is, you know that when appendicitis is onset, you really don't have several days before the symptoms become severe and the patient becomes severely ill. So when he decided he wanted to do a CAT scan to rule out appendicitis, a light bulb went off and I was like, okay, this isn't being taken seriously. If it was appendicitis, I would be much sicker than I am. And also, it wouldn't take two weeks to get the CAT scan, which it did. And that was super frustrating. I was told to go home, wait for a phone call to schedule the CAT scan. So I did, and it was going to be about two weeks before I could get in for that CAT scan. Now, when you're so uncomfortable and you just know your body and you know something's wrong hearing that it's going to take another two weeks to even just have a picture taken not even know the results was really disheartening and I did I went and got my cat scan I drank the disgusting contrast dye that they give to you Um, they did a IV contrast and Again, I was sent home to wait for results. So fast forward about 24 hours, I receive a phone call from the nurse at my doctor's office. She said that the CAT scan showed an abnormality. It showed that my right ovary was inflamed. And they didn't really know why, so they wanted to get a better picture. 
so that meant a it's called a transvaginal ultrasound meaning they do an ultrasound over the belly to take a look at the uterus and all the reproductive organs ovaries things like that and then they also do an internal ultrasound when you're in that kind of pain and just feeling awful the last thing you want is someone you've never met doing something so invasive and not knowing why but because of the last 12 or 13 years that I spent seeing every specialist at multiple hospitals for so many different things and getting all of these tests and trying all of these medications and um, surgeries that were really unnecessary, this seemed like small potatoes to get an answer. So I went in for my ultrasound. It was a young woman, super friendly, super nice, made me feel very comfortable, which I was grateful for because I was scared. It's scary to be 29 years old and feeling the way I was and only knowing that there's something wrong with your right ovary. Now, things like ovarian cancer and just awful diagnoses that you don't want to hear crossed my mind before my ultrasound. And so I was very tense and very stressed out and just I think the technician could tell and she did her very best and I'm so grateful for her because she really did make it just a little bit better. So during the exam, the technician asked me, have you ever been told you have endometriosis? And I thought that was odd. Not only because she's a technician and not really (laughs) supposed to kind of throw things like that out in the air. But mostly because, one, I'd heard the term, didn't really know what it was. And two, I have had, like I said, so many tests and so many surgeries. If I had endometriosis, I would know it. And that's what I told her. I said, no, no, like, that's crazy. I've I've never been told that that's a possibility. Anything like that. So she said, oh, okay. And kind of went on with the exam. So that took about an hour and I was again sent home. I was contacted a few days later, not even a few days later actually, the next day, again by my doctor's office saying that my ultrasound was concerning. It looked like I had what's called bilateral endometriomas on my ovaries. And again, I was at work when I got that phone call. I was at an event in the southern part of Vermont, and it was kind of like, well, what do you mean? What is that? And tell me more, but not really having the kind of time on the phone that I needed to get those answers. And that was really, really stressful. The only thing that I could do at that point was take ibuprofen to help the pain and wait, wait for another phone call, wait for another suggestion, and just, oh my god, hope that they would go away somehow on their own. I don't know, because I had no idea what these were. And anybody who hears that they have something within their body 
especially ending in the term oma like the first thing that crossed my mind was i have tumors on my ovaries oh my god what am i gonna do i was terrified like i said i was far away from home i was working how am i supposed to absorb this when i don't really know what that means so i waited for my referral to my OBGYN and I got an appointment five days later and it was with an OBGYN I had never met and it had because it had to be with someone who was capable of performing surgery so I live in a very small it's I would call it a small community compared to what else is out there it's a small community and not every doctor who works within that gynecological office is skilled in all of the same things and so they set me up with a doctor I had never met because she was able to perform surgery if necessary so I get to my appointment I sit down and the doctor pulls up my ultrasound to explain to me what they were what endometriomas were how big they were and anything else that looked abnormal on the ultrasound. So the first thing that came out of her mind, out of her mouth was this is, these are definitely bilateral endometriomas, also known as chocolate cysts, which gross. (laughs) Um, And they get that term because they're filled with old blood. And being a female, listening to this podcast, I'm sure you know what old blood looks like. It's brown. It's gross. And that's why it's called a chocolate cyst, right? So that made sense. And it was kind of a better way to understand what it was than calling it an endometrioma at that point for me. So she also told me, if you have endometriomas, you more than likely have endometriosis. And I asked her, I said, oh my God, when you guys, when they called me the other day to tell me I had endometriomas on my ultrasound I did a little research online and read about endometriosis is it true that it is endometrium tissue within different parts of the body that are not the uterus and that they bleed I was just oh my god like is that true like that sounds crazy how is that possible and she told me yes that's absolutely what endometriosis is that it is tissue from within the uterus that has implanted into somewhere in the pelvic cavity, abdominal cavity, what have you, and it responds to your hormonal cycle the same way as your uterus does. Therefore, when your uterus sheds, these tissue, these implants also shed. And that's what causes the severe pain is the bleeding within your abdomen there's nowhere for that blood to go and it really irritates the tissues and causes inflammation and in some cases is absolutely excruciating in other cases women don't even know so get back to her telling me that that meant I probably had endometriosis and she could tell that I was just in severe pain at this point it had gone from three days before this I I noticed discomfort and pressure like I had been for at this point, about five or six weeks. And I was experienced almost like a, it was 
like experiencing a muscle spasm, but it was within my ovaries and it was really, really intense on the right side. I was having a difficulty walking. It was radiating down my thigh, super nauseous. Um, it was just awful and she could see that and I was frustrated and I was crying because here's another thing that I'm going through in my life and nobody's going to be able to tell me why and it was at that moment she said we're going to do surgery we're going to remove the endometriomas and if you have endometriosis when we get in there we're going to remove that too so basically I felt like this surgery was going to solve all of my problems and I think that that's true of almost every woman that I've spoken to who has been diagnosed with endometriosis. They are told things and are made to believe that surgery is going to fix it, and that's not the case. So we talked about the OR schedule, and it was going to be weeks before I could get in, but she knew I was in severe pain, so she moved things around, and I was in the OR two days later. So I met her on Wednesday and Friday morning I showed up to my local hospital for surgery and I said to her, I said, I felt an intense rupturing feeling last night. Is it possible that I ruptured the cyst? And she's like, yeah, it's absolutely possible. We'll take a look when we get in there. So, and it was true. I, they got in there and she said, well, this was after surgery. She came to my bedside and I remember her telling me, you absolutely have endometriosis. There's no question about it. It was everywhere. It was all over this and all over that. And yes, you're right. Your right cyst had ruptured. And it's kind of funny. I mean, I sneezed and that's what ruptured the cyst. And so it kind of shows you just what little bit of pressure and movement can really make a difference when you're experiencing pain related to endo. I mean, if a sneeze can change the status of something like that and cause such severe pain, it's, it was awful. So basically, I met her after surgery and she told me how surgery went and that they removed what they saw and I would see her in the office 10 days later. So fast forward to my post-op and I go in to see her and I tell her, I feel great. I can't believe I've never been this pain-free in my life. And I just felt like life was going to get so much better. And the shitty thing is, is I was so completely wrong. <laughs> and so I left the office with the idea that I was fixed and that endometriosis wasn't going to be an issue for me and everything that I had heard and all the horror stories over the last few days that I had read up on that wasn't going to be true to me true for me so a few days goes by and I'm standing in my kitchen and I had an intense pain and pressure kind of take over that lower right side of my abdomen where it had been so severe leading up to surgery. And the thing is, is that it didn't go away. Not with ibuprofen, not with rest, not with ice, nothing. So 
I was forced to make another appointment very close to my follow-up and that was really difficult because being such a small community or being such a small doctor's office, I would say, that was serving a large population in the women's health aspect, it was hard to find time for them to get me in. And I explained to them I was in, I was experiencing excruciating pain again. And that was just, that didn't make sense to them. So I went in and this is kind of where my diagnosis took a turn for the worst. And I was forced to then become, I was already my own advocate, but I was forced to become so, so, so in my own corner that it it was heartbreaking to not receive the support and the information and the care that I went looking for when I was starting to experience that awful pain again. So I showed up in the office, my vitals looked good, my post-op incision sites looked good, and why was I in pain? That's what we didn't understand. So I was given a physical exam where they pushed on the incision, they pushed where they had operated. It was tender, but it wasn't awful. And she told and she explained to me that was good news because that means it's not from my abdominal wall. So there's no issue from the incision itself or the trocar, the tool that they use to insert cameras and surgical tools with into the abdomen during a laparoscopy. So, okay, that's great, but why does this hurt when you just went in and removed that? So, I was 29 at the time, I'm 30 now, and I was asked, what are your thoughts on children? Like, what was your plan? Things like that. And I told her, I said, children have never really been part of my plan, and that I, I just wanted to know what my options were. And because children were never part of my plan, she jumped right to, well, since it's the lower right side and that's the ovary that was really sort of damaged from a ruptured cyst, we can always just go in there and give you a hysterectomy. We can go in there. We would leave your left ovary, but we would definitely take your right ovary. And I had maybe, I had days before this to absorb the, the fact that this was my diagnosis and to teach myself about what that meant because I felt like I wasn't going to get the information that I really needed from this provider. So we discussed a hysterectomy. We discussed an ovarectomy, which is where they remove an ovary or both ovaries. And I wanted to know what else my options were. And this is where the medication Lupron got brought up. Now, If you came to this podcast about endometriosis, I assume you or someone you know also has endometriosis and you've probably heard horror stories about Lupron. And if you haven't and you know someone who has taken Lupron or is taking Lupron and is successful, my God, I am so glad to hear that because I have heard nothing but awful things about it. So she told me, we'll just put you on Lupron. It's an injection you get every three months. And it does this, this, and this. So basically, if you were to look up the medication Lupron, you might learn that
that it is in fact a chemotherapy drug that treats prostate cancer and the way that it treats endometriosis is that it suppresses the ovaries, the hormonal response, and basically puts you into a medically induced menopause. So yes, menopause, just like you would in your 50s or whatever age um, is average for menopause in the 50s, I would say, is average. You go through hot flashes and mood swings and bone density loss and things like that. And that's exactly what Lupron does to you. It causes irreversible damage. And I'm not saying this with firsthand experience because I absolutely shot that idea down. I am only speaking on studies that I have read up on, clinical studies. I'm not talking about a blog where someone just went off about how much Lupron ruined their life. I'm talking about clinically based studies that I came across, forums that I've reached uh, worldwide basically to educate myself because I was sick of being a guinea pig. I was sick of taking medications that were supposed to make me feel better, that were making me feel worse. And I knew that it was a drastic thing to try and I was not interested in it. So that was not well received. The idea that I did my own research and you can't believe anything that you read on the internet was just topic of the day apparently. And so I turned down the Lupron injection and I said, is there something else I can do? And the only other option was a medication called Orlissa. Now, if you have cable television, you've probably seen commercials about Orlissa. Orlissa is a tablet which basically does the same thing that Lupron does, except you take it every day. And the only difference is you can stop taking it and the, and the, the menopause, sim, menopausal symptoms are supposed to also go away. So she did her best at convincing me that that was a safer route. I said, yep, give me that. I wanted to get out of that office. That was my goal. I was in pain. I didn't want to talk more about surgery at that point. I didn't want to be told that my only option was menopause. I didn't want to be told any of this. I was just absolutely overwhelmed and I could not say yes to something so extreme. The same day that I saw that provider, I took to a Facebook group. It is called Nancy's Nook. It is specifically for women who are diagnosed with endometriosis. It is a plethora of information on the disease, doctors around the world who specialize in it, and firsthand accounts of what people have tried and what's failed, what's succeeded, and things like that. So I took to that page and I did some research on some specialists up here in New England and they're called excision specialists. So there's two different types of surgery. There's ablation and there's excision. And excision is what they would call the gold standard of surgical intervention of endometriosis. So I did some research and then I did a little more research and I found some information about a, a department in a hospital in upstate Vermont, in Burlington, Vermont, actually, University of Vermont Medical Center. They are affiliated with UVM College, which a lot of people, I think, from around the country 
know very well much about. So yeah, so I did some research and I found a provider there and I was like, I want to see somebody in this department. I want to see them now. I could not go another day without knowing that I had something to fall back on. So I called my primary care provider and I asked for a referral and they said, where do you want to go? And I said, I want to go to University of Vermont Medical Center. I want to see a specialist up there. And they said, okay, what's the doctor's name that you want to see? And I told them the doctor's name that I had found. Okay. So they sent in the referral. It took less than 48 hours to get a phone call from the office up in Burlington. If you know anything about Burlington, if you're from this area, you know that that is just mind-blowing. It can take weeks or months to get into an office like that. And they called me and they said that we received your referral. Who is it that you want to see? And I told them the name and they said, we don't have anybody here by that name. And I said, okay, well, it could be under this. And they said, we've never had anybody here by that name. What do you need to be seen for? And I told them that I had just been diagnosed with stage four endometriosis. And they said, oh, you want to see Dr. Misty Blanchett Porter. And I said, if that's what you say, if that's what you think, yep, that's exactly who I want to see. And so they set me up with her and it took... It was only a matter of, I'd say, four weeks. No less than that. I'd say about two and a half weeks to actually see her. And I couldn't wait. It wasn't soon enough. I I watched the clock go so slowly every day for those follow those few weeks. And it was finally appointment day. So my sister, um, who works in women's health actually went with me on this appointment. The appointment um, was set to be a pretty long one. It was where I was meeting her, of course, and going over everything. So we get up there, and i it's a teaching hospital, so they introduced me to her student. And or he's not really a student. He was a fellow. And he asked me a, bunch, a series of questions and wanted to know, why not Lupron? And in my mind, I was like, you have got to be kidding me. Um, I didn't feel like I needed to explain why I didn't want to take a medication. And I sure as hell didn't want to explain it to a man who looked like he was maybe my age and really didn't care about what this what the road has been for me to get this diagnosis and didn't really care about my personal feelings. He wanted to know, he wanted medical data, like to back up my reasoning. And I just stopped having a conversation with him. And I said, you know what? I feel like this is a very useless conversation that we're having. I feel like no matter what I say, you're going to think I'm crazy for not wanting to take this medication that is supposed to be holy grail for endometriosis. I'd like to see Dr. Blanchett Porter now. So he basically, he stopped talking and he went to get Dr. Blanchett Porter. He must have told her my thoughts and whatnot because she came into the room and she, she looked at me and she said that that was such an extreme way to start and that she understood why I didn't want to do it. And there's other things that we can try in the meantime that aren't so devastating, aren't so 
awful with symptoms to go through. And I think that that alone, her respecting the road that I wanted to take, the steps that I was interested in taking, she respected that. She was patient-centered. I could tell from the second she walked in that room that she was going to change my life. And she and I had a very long first appointment and I thought that was incredible because you're lucky if you get 10 or 15 minutes with specialists these days. And she made it seem like I was her only patient for the day and that she had all the time in the world when I know that she had more patients to see and I just am so grateful for her. So we talked about my symptoms and we talked about things that I had tried and right down to the CBD oil that I was trying for inflammation, the anti-inflammatory diet that I had been trying, you know, like extra blueberries and ginger and turmeric and things like that. And then I explained to her a new symptom that had developed. And it was very embarrassing to talk about, especially with a male in the room. And I I said to her, I said, hey, has endometriosis ever caused this? And I told her I was experiencing this sharp, spasm-like pain in my lower pelvis into, I guess, the rectal area. And the reason that I could pinpoint it like that was because I was having trouble sitting, standing, driving, walking, um, anything like that. It felt almost, well, I mean, it, it honestly felt like someone was sticking a knife up my backside and that it was enough sometimes to just make me stop, stand still. I didn't I didn't care if I was in a building. I didn't care if I was in a store. I could not walk. I could not drive. I could not sit comfortably. I could not sleep because it would just come on so strong so suddenly. It would take over everything below my belly button. And she called it pedundal neuralgia. So Basically, she was guessing that inflammation from my surgery on February 1st was causing swelling around this nerve, and I was experiencing symptoms because of it. She said, I'm going to put you on this medication. I had heard about this medication before. So many people take it. It's called gabapentin or neurotin. Um, I I was placed on a very low dose to begin with very sensitive to medication, so we didn't want to try anything too extreme in dosage. And she also put me on naproxen to take place of ibuprofen. So I was told, try this for a few weeks. If you don't see any improvements, let us know. And so I was sent home. A few weeks went by, and I again started experiencing awful pain around my right ovary. And so I called them. They got me right in for an ultrasound the next day. I drove up to Burlington and I had the ultrasound. So what that ultrasound ultimately showed was adhesion. I, the scar tissue from the previous surgery, the lesions from the endometriosis, my organs were beginning to adhere to one another. And so anything that wanted to move, it couldn't. It was stuck. It was, it's, there's another term for it. It's called frozen pelvis. So I was told that that was an issue and a few other things that weren't really, um, related to endometriosis. So 
they said, again, try this, increase the dosage a little bit, um, and we'll see you again in a few weeks. I had an appointment, I think, about two weeks later anyway as a follow-up, so I got in to see Dr. Blanchett Porter. So in the meantime, I had lost my job. They had laid me off because I was unable to work full-time due to the complications of healing and so on. So I got laid off and told to apply for unemployment. Now, I've always worked as young as 12 or 13 years old. We had a boat business here in Vermont, and my dad put me behind that desk as soon as he could, and it was weird for me to be laid off. I've always either been in school or working. So I'm laid off, and I'm told to file for unemployment, come to find out I'm not eligible for unemployment because I'm not eligible for full-time work at the time. And so stress is beginning to build, and bills are beginning to build. And I, all of a sudden, one day I woke up with this overwhelming feeling of hopelessness and depression and sadness and really no desire to see the day, no desire to take one more breath and it it was a very overwhelming feeling I hadn't felt that way since my father passed away when I was 18 years old and it was terrifying it was so much on top of the physical that I was already dealing with to now take on this emotional and mental burden and I went to my appointment in May so I I felt that way for a few solid weeks and I went to my appointment and I sat down and I was crying and she came in and she said how are you doing and I began to tell her the pain is here and the pain is there and she said no how are you doing she said that it is so common for women who are newly diagnosed to feel depressed and to almost grieve who they were before their diagnosis because life changes. Life changes whether you want it to or not when you get diagnosed with endometriosis. And I told her, I said, I don't know if it's the medication. I don't know if it's this. I don't know if it's that. But I have suicidal thoughts every single day and I can't fight them off no matter how hard I try. There were days that I probably would not have gotten through if not for owning a dog. And it was because my significant other would be at work and I'd be home, you know, not going to work, just experiencing this awful physical pain, now emotional, now mental. And it just felt so useless. It felt like if this is what life is going to be like now, I don't want any part of it. And the only reason that I say that my dog is the one who got me through those days is because of the fear of if I do something like this well, while I'm home alone, who's going to be here for my dog? And I know that's a crazy thought, but I feel like when you're that vulnerable, everything's crazy, right? Like none of it makes sense. You can't rationalize anything. And looking back at it now, I'm like there's so much more that I had to live for other than taking care of my dog. And so I told her this and she she recommended I see a therapist and oh my god the stigma surrounding seeing a therapist I was terrified and I felt like I can 
I can deal with this for a few more weeks. I can deal with this. I can deal with this. And we discussed surgery. And she said, I want to take you back to surgery. I want to go. She wanted to see it for herself. She wanted to help me. And the only issue was the that they like to wait at least six months. I mean, really, they like to wait over a year, but they wanted to wait at least six months to kind of let the inflammation die down within my body before they went back in. But she could tell that I was losing life. I was losing what it meant to be alive. I was losing my will. I was losing my desire and anything that keeps a person going and waking up every morning. I was losing that and she knew that and she immediately got her scheduler on it and unfortunately it's a busy hospital so it took seven weeks to go into surgery but you know what I knew I was going back to surgery and I had something to look forward to and all I wanted was for it to work because at this point I had been out of work for three months I had been in pain for five or six months well really as long as I can remember but that that pain that I was experiencing had now been there for five or six months and it there was no end in sight so yeah so I got my surgery date and I had something to look forward to and I just took every day one at a time I started going to therapy and little by little I was starting to feel a little bit better um but all I, all I could focus on was surgery, 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 surgery. I need this surgery. I need to feel better. I need to get back into my normal life. I need something to wake up for every day. I need to be a productive member of society. I can't sit around and be in pain like this every day. So surgery day came along, July 23rd, and I was so nervous. I I don't know what it was. I think it was less that I was having surgery and more like, oh my God, what if this doesn't work? And the recovery of the first surgery was just so awful that I couldn't imagine going through that again for nothing. So I got to the hospital. They got me prepped for surgery. They get me into the operating room and it's lights out. So I wake up and recovery in the PACU was awful. I, they couldn't get my pain under control. My incisions were bleeding through the bandages. I was close to passing out if I tried to stand up and walk to the bathroom. I, I didn't understand why I was feeling so awful. They didn't understand why I was feeling so awful. So, fast forward because I feel like that's such a long story that's not worth getting into right now. I get home and the next day I said to my boyfriend, I said, Tim, if I ever am faced with surgery again, remind me of how awful this is. <laughs> remind me of how much pain I'm in. And it was just, oh my God, like getting cut, your abdomen cut into, even though it is a keyhole surgery, a laparoscopy where you don't have, you know, like a six inch incision, it hurts and you're full of air that they expand your abdomen with to move the tools around and it's just awful. So two days post-op, I end up having to go to my local emergency department. I was feeling like I got hit by a truck. 
I was bleeding heavily, passing clots, and my abdomen was distended. And I was, I just felt myself kind of, my mental status was going kind of back and forth, and I just knew something was wrong. So I went to the emergency department, and of course, they're wonderful. They consulted my surgeon. She's wonderful, and she did everything she could from two hours away. And they tested me for internal bleeding, and thank God I didn't have it. And I was pumped full of fluids and medications, and I came home and slept for a few days. Woke up. I was perky. I felt better. The incisions were sore. It was sort of bend, stand, walk, things like that, push or pull. But I noticed that my pelvic pain was gone. The pain that had been life-altering for eight months was gone. And I didn't want to get my hopes up. I didn't want it to be like the first 10 days after my first surgery where oh my god, this is so much better, I'm fixed. And so I didn't get my hopes up. I kind of found myself sitting around waiting for it to kind of worsen, and it just didn't. And that was absolutely 100% such an incredible feeling. And I could not wait to see her at my follow-up. So I go to my post-op, and she says, hey, how you doing? And she told me I looked like I was full of life and I had color in my face and I was smiling and I wasn't crying. And I just, I told her, I was like, and you know, I had an awful cold. I had a cold right before surgery and I had a cold following surgery, both where I lost my voice. And um, I told her, I was like, you know, if I wasn't sick, I'd kiss you. Like you saved my life. And I say she saved my life because I 100% went into surgery thinking to myself, and I obviously didn't share it with anyone. I went into surgery thinking, if this doesn't get better, if this doesn't make it better, that's it. I'm done. I'm done fighting. It's not worth it. I can't work. I can't sleep. I can't eat because I had developed an intolerance to most foods, and I just, I didn't want any part of it if it was going to continue. So to be able to say, hey, my pelvic pain is 99% better. It's amazing. Ibuprofen can help when it does come on. And oh my God, you saved my life and I love you and I could kiss you and I've told everybody about you. It was just incredible. So that's why I decided that it was important to share my story beyond Facebook and beyond Instagram was because I was so close to giving up on life and it was the perseverance of my friends specifically my I have a really good friend who I've been friends with right around since the time my dad died her name's Haley love her she has really been my backbone through this she's done incredible things that I'll get into in some later episodes um I just Oh my God, (laughs) I've shared this. I decided to share this story because people like her and it's so important when you're going through something to have a friend that's like that and to have that sort of support system. It's so important. And I know I'm probably not making any sense right now because this is such an emotional episode for me. It's brought up an awful journey over the last year and the things that 
she and so many of my friends, family, and people I've never even met have done for me have been amazing. And it was important for me to start sharing my story beyond social media because women who are feeling helpless and hopeless and feeling like it's the end of the road and it just doesn't get better, I want you to know that it does and it can. And that I just don't want you to give up. I had people in my corner telling me not to give up and I didn't want to hear it because who the fuck are they to say that you know like they didn't understand what I was going through but I get it now don't give up and I really just wanted to delve into that last year of the diagnosis itself because it's been such a roller coaster ride and I think I needed to get it off my chest um things are finally starting to get better I'm slowly getting back into work and slowly getting back into school I can take my dog for a walk I can walk I can take her to the park she's a 60 pound pit bull she wants to play so I'm very thankful that I can do that with her now and I just couldn't wait to share this I don't think and I know it's only been a few days since I posted the first episode but I really thought this was important to put it out there and I hope you enjoyed it. I know it's been a long one. And if you're still listening, oh my God, I appreciate you. I did mention in the first episode that I was going to set up an email address for any questions or comments or anything like that. And I will include that in the description of this episode. And I just, I hope that this reaches somebody who needs to hear it. And I hope this reaches somebody that loves someone who has endometriosis and can recommend it to them give them my email address give them anything like that give them my name I'll post my social media links in the description box like I said and I can't wait to share more I will kind of wait for a few questions to come in and I think before I really get into it hear what you guys see what you guys want to hear the most about and just go from there So I just wanted to thank you again for listening this far in. It's been almost an hour. That's crazy. I didn't expect it to take that long. I really thought it would take 15 minutes and what a waste, but oh my God. So that's pretty wonderful. And if you're listening, Haley, I love you and I appreciate you for everything that you did for me this summer. I wanted to... Really just say thank you to anybody who's been there for me. There's a number of people who have been there for me and the list is too long for me to individually thank you. But you know who you are and I couldn't be more grateful for you. And I just can't wait to continue sharing the story and hopefully help another girl out, another woman out. And I hope that Wherever you are, if you're suffering like I was, that you have a little bit more hope now. You have a a little, just a glimmer of hope is enough for me at this point and makes it all worth it. Makes it worth it to make my heart pound the way it has been for the last hour talking about such an emotional, physical, painful journey. And I truly, from the bottom of my heart, thank you for listening. And I hope that you stay tuned for future episodes and I look forward to hearing from you. Have a good night.